I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to deal with a, a strong word, the word judgment. That word does something to us when we hear it. It's just the word itself. Our mind goes different places depending on your experience, what you've been through. And then when we think of the biblical perspective of this word judgment, it causes us to shudder. We don't even like hearing somebody say, can I give you a word of constructive criticism? Aren't you already nervous when somebody says that to you? You're like, I'm going to hear what they don't like. But when it comes to the word judgment, man, we just, we don't know what to do with that word. And yet it's throughout the word of God. When we hear that word, a lot of times by default, we just start thinking about, that's talking about the bad people, the guys in the black hats. They're going to be judged. And so when we look at that word judgment, we, we have to realize what it is. It is the ability to judge. It is the ability to make a decision authoritatively. It is a position that we trust somebody with wisdom is operating in. So again, when we think of judgment, we think of biblically a great white throne judgment. I want to read to you an excerpt from 1927, a black minister by the name of James Johnson that he entitled God's Trombones. Oh, oh, sinner, where will you stand in that great day when God's are going to rain down fire? Oh, you gambling man, where will you stand? You whoremongering man, where will you stand? Liars, backsliders, where will you stand in that great day when God's going to rain down fire? And God will divide the sheep from the goats, the one on the right and the other on the left. And to them on the right, God's going to say, enter into my kingdom. And those who've come through great tribulations and washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, they will enter in clothed in spotless white. And to them on the left, God's are going to say, depart from me into everlasting darkness, down into the bottomless pit, and the wicked, like lumps of lead, will start to fall. Headlong for seven days and nights they'll fall, plumb into the big, deep, red, hot mouth of hell. Too late, sinner. Too late. Goodbye. Sinner, goodbye. In hell, sinner, in hell, beyond the reach of the love of God. Oh, my. Again, it's wording, it's preaching like that that brings that word judgment to light. We come to that place of the reality of a hell. Again, I don't know this man's position why he would say seven days and nights headlong other than, I guess, to create this emotion of how deep that bottomless pit really is to just keep falling in torment. And that 
incredible statement at the end, to be separated from the presence of God. You see, on our worst days today, we still have the privilege of just whispering the name of Jesus. If we just gather with one other believer, he said, I'll be there. But there's, for those in hell, that privilege no longer exists. It is that sobering thought that should never leave us. It is that ballast in our life that causes us to think of eternity, to know that so much of our life, so much that we get so upset with is oh so, so very temporal. When somebody reminds us, boy, last week you were so upset. You were just livid. What were you so mad about? I don't know. And yet, in the moment, it bothered you to a point of, of anguish, frustration, hatred, whatever. And yet, you can't even remember it? How important was it? that it can't stay with you no longer than that. And yet, an eternity that never, ever stops. It is that sobering thought again, but there's a heaven. I've got to make heaven. I've got to make heaven. I, I don't want to go to hell. If there's a heaven, I want it. If there's a heaven... I don't care how diminished it may be compared to what I've heard, but as long as my Lord is there and I can be there with him, I want it. I don't know if there's mansions like they say or if it's one big mansion with many rooms, but I want to be there. They promise that there's no sickness there, no heartache, no more lawsuits, no more fearful trepidation. I want to be there. And so we hear about judgment, but if we're not careful, we just, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, so that takes care of all that. I can take a breath, and I won't be judged. But maybe we forgot there's a judgment seat of Christ. Would you stand with me as we read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just verses 9 and 10? So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I need this. Maybe seated. There's an expression that comes out of the 1930s. And it dealt with capital punishment. And already with those couple clues, you're already there. The expression is being in the hot seat. The electric chair. That's where that expression hails from. From the 30s when capital punishment included the electric chair, sitting in the hot seat. 
sitting in this place of judgment, sitting in this place that's uncomfortable of what may be coming down the pike. What's about to happen to me? Now we know Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that we are saved by grace, not of works. And yet, again, Titus, a pastor, writes to us about this working of regeneration. And we're reminded again with Paul that we are new creations in Christ. Old things pass away, all things become new. And we take certain verses like that and we think, I'm good. I'm good. I'm so good. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. When I get to heaven, my goodness, I'm, I'm just going to enjoy all the splendor of heaven. And everything that I did wrong on the earth, it, it just evaporates or doesn't. Because there's still a judgment seat of Christ. This hot seat. And yes, all Christians, no exception, will be judged. We'll all get our turn on the hot seat. We will all get there. What's going to happen when you're sitting in the hot seat? According to Paul, as we're being judged, we will be judged for everything we've done in this life. And not just the good, but also the bad. Now, wait a minute. That's messing with my theology. I thought if I got to heaven, I'm good. If I make it, oh, don't you love his expression? If I can just make it to heaven by the skin of my teeth. That is a disgusting statement. Brush your teeth and get over it. It's not enough just to slide in there. I'm going to sit on the hot seat and I'm going to be judged. And who's going to judge me? Paul tells us that as well as he's writing in 2 Timothy as we have it today. He said, and on that day, Christ, the righteous judge, shall award to me that crown of life. And not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. But it is Christ, it is Jesus, who's my judge. Oh, wow. I was hoping I'd get one of them judges that didn't know me well. No, he will judge us as we're sitting on the hot seat. Many years ago, matter of fact, 1948 to 1952, there was a radio broadcast, NBC Radio, and it simply was called, This Is Your Life. How many remembers that? But you see, from, that went from 48 to 52, but then from 52 to 1961, it moved from radio to TV, NBC TV. This Is Your Life, and it was a program design where people could come in from the past and give stories about the life you'd lived up to that time. But there's another word out there that maybe some of you would remember because it's still in print today, and it's a Christian gospel track. The man that invented these tracks, his name is Jack Chick. So they're called Chick Tracks, C-H-I-C tracks. Maybe you've gone to a restroom at a sporting event. Somebody left this little almost cartoon looking track there, multiple kinds. But his first one 
was entitled, This Was Your Life. We've moved from this is your life to this was your life. And on the hot seat, it will be, this was your life. Wow, it's sobering to think about that. You see, that particular track has spoke around this world. It's in over 100 countries, and over 900 million copies have sold. This was your life. What's going to be said about you, Lynn, at that tribunal? What's going to be said about each one of us? And again, we have to remember it's everything we've done in this life. It will, it will evaluate every action, behavior, every attitude, every word spoken, every motive. Well, somebody say amen, so I think there's still a congregation out there. You see, it's a healthy thing to let Scripture speak to us because it's the very thing that causes us to live a righteous life. Not a self-righteous life, but a righteous life. I'm going to be judged and understand, again, what's being said. Well, I, but wait a minute, Pastor. I thought if I was there, all that went away. This is not a hot seat of condemnation. This is why in Romans 8 and 1, again, that verse can be misconstrued. It's talking about then, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who no longer live under the law of sin and death, but the law of the spirit of life. But it is Paul again writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, reminding us about that tribunal that what we build with will be tested by fire. If we're building with gold and silver and precious stones, then when that fire ignites our work, it will survive. But if we're building with wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be lost. Can you imagine an entire lifetime as a Christian? And you're there at the judgment seat of Christ. No, it's not a judgment of condemnation. You're born again. You have the privilege of heaven. But everything you've ever worked for is lost. If it all was wrong... Done with the wrong motive, it's lost. It's like flash paper. Can you imagine? We know how we are in the natural. Can you imagine? Many of you have built your own businesses. And you spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years doing that. Can you imagine losing it all in one collapse of the stock market and it's all lost by the next morning? And yet we're talking about eternal things. Eternity itself. The statement then comes back to us, man, you can bet you'll be on the hot seat if the boss gets wind of this. You see, again, so many things we've done, we thought we were doing it and nobody knew. The murmuring, the anonymous text, the motivation as we have a cheesy grin. And yet in our heart, 
we don't intend to help that person. Wow. Sobering, isn't it? Don't you wish your pastor preached something different today? (laughs) The judgment seat of Christ. Again, yes, there's a heaviness. And yet remember that that which has been done in this life, and we're back to that expression, one life. We only get one shot at it. One life, so soon it'll pass. Only what's done for Christ will last was built upon this verse. To be reminded that the privilege that it is to be born again, the privilege that it is to be a child of God, the privilege that it is to be called a son or daughter of God, the privilege of knowing that by faith in him and his mercy and his grace, I am truly created anew. There's an eternity, and I get the privilege of an eternity with a risen Savior. And on top of that, those things that I've done in his name, in this life, that I've done with the right motivation, will be tested by fire, and it'll be even pure after the fire. And as a result of the fire. I can't imagine, I don't know, I don't think I'm that different than most people. In the sense, I had to preface that remark, didn't I? In the sense that I, I don't want just a handout. I've, I've, I've been raised with a responsibility of work and a strong work ethic. And I know what the scripture says, that a work person, a workman is worthy of their hire. I know what it is to get a check after, or, or cash or whatever the payment may be after I've worked hard. And you know what? I don't ever back up to get that check. Do you, Anita? No. Why? Because you've earned it, right? The scriptures bear that out. But I can't imagine my whole life being, I didn't put one effort into this. I didn't give one minute of my time. I didn't, I didn't sweat one droplet. I didn't bleed one ounce. But yeah, I want what you've got to give me. I'll just, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine being at the judgment seat and being on the hot seat. And there's the foundation that Paul said he laid, and we've been building on that as well. And then all of a sudden, the incinerator. And watching everything I've ever said I did, lost. And again, as Paul brings out, the soul isn't lost at that judgment. But we can suffer tremendous loss. I can't imagine walking away without anything left. You see, preaching like this is good. Because you see, the truth is we can never pay our Lord back. But we want to do something. To take the rewards that he gives to us and say, I want to cast them to your feet. Because none of this would have been possible without you. You're the one, you're the only one that lived the sinless life and you love me so much that you gave your life for me that I may be here with you now. Oh yeah, the judgment seat of Christ. So I'll finish with this because it's before us every day. Titus is a book we don't go to a lot. Titus 3 and 1 says, be prepared for every good work. Isn't that a great statement? 
You know, every day we get those opportunities. But if we'll keep right there in the back of our mind, as we say, there's a judgment seat ahead for me. And I want to have something after the judgment's over to offer. It helps me now to say, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be ready for every good work. I'm going to look for opportunity to be a blessing to somebody. I'm going to look for the opportunity. And I don't know how many of you will testify to this, but maybe you know you've got a quick temper. To prepare yourself not to fire off. And already be prepared that when that moment happens and you don't know where to come from, that you've already put something in motion that, ah, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And you replaced it already with, I'm prepared for this. And you might even be honest enough to tell that person, you know, I, I was prepared to take your head off. But I also made a better preparation, and that is, I want to bless you. Man, you'll blow them away. I've played my share of sports. I've enjoyed baseball, softball, I think more than the other sports. And typically, I played outfield. But any position player would have their own regimen. But for me, I was always talking to myself at least in my mind. Where are we in the game? Is there one out? Is there two outs? Because you only get three outs. Uh, so that team is at bat. If, if, I, if there are no outs or one out and I get the ball, what am I going to do with it? If, it? if it comes to me on the ground, I don't have time to pick up the ball and finally say, okay, let's see. Is there a runner on first? Second? <laughs> Oh, they're at home now. Okay, that's where they are. You see, you had to be prepared. I already know there's only one out, and there's a person at second. So as I get it up, I'm already throwing. To stop that runner from advancing to a place of scoring. I had to think ahead. If I catch the ball in flight... Will I be turning immediately to see if a runner had advanced thinking I wouldn't get to it? Can I throw them out at the base they, that was safe for them just a moment ago? Enough with the analogies. It is that principle of life to be prepared, to be prepared. And in this sense, what a good word. Be prepared for every good work. So I'll finish with this. There was a young, successful executive in his brand-new Jaguar. He didn't want anything to happen to the car, so he decided, I'm going to take the side streets on the way home. I just want to get it. I really want to get this car home so I can really enjoy it. I've seen it in the showroom floor, but I want to enjoy it. And as he went through side streets, to his dismay, all of a sudden there was this crashing boom in the side of his car. Bang! As he pulled over, he could see in his mirror already, somebody threw a brick and hit this brand new car. He was angry, frustrated, to say the least, 
put the car in a safer place and started looking for who threw that brick. And finally, he found a little boy. And man, he tore that kid's head off. Why would you do something like that? Why would you throw that brick? Why? You know how how much money this is going to cost? And the little boy with tears said, Mister, I didn't know what else to do. Because my brother fell out of his wheelchair. And I couldn't lift him back up. And he's injured. The man found himself just for loss of words and found himself coming over to that child and put him back in the wheelchair and got him back on the sidewalk. And the little boy that had talked to him didn't say, Mr. Doyle, anything. He just thanked the man as the two went off. The end of the story is better than the story itself because it's a true story. Do you know what that man did with that car? He never repaired the damaged door. He intended to keep the scar on that door to remind him, I don't need somebody throwing a brick at me before I realize there's somebody that could use my help. Wow. Would you stand with me?